Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situations, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. President Andrea Luxton, Provost Kristen Arthur, Dean Keith Mattingly, Pastor and Shepherd Dwight Nelson, Board Chairman Arthur Stelly, esteemed graduates of the class of 2017, proud family and friends, and the membership of one of the greatest churches on the planet, the Pioneer Memorial Seventh-day Adventist Church. I greet you warmly this graduation Sabbath as my father's children and as fellow members of the body of Jesus Christ. I also want to recognize the faculty of this August institution, my alma mater, but not just mine, for my parents invested over 20 years in this institution as a means of providing Christian education for four of my siblings before me. My brother Harvey, who is deceased, Pastor Harvey Kibble. My brother Herman, Chaplain Herman Loris Kibble. My brother Harold, Pastor William Harold Kibble. My sister Marie, Dr. Marie Kibble Robinson, who was one of your former board members who is now deceased. And of course, yours truly. Dr. Luxton, you have honored me beyond my wildest dreams. This is something that I will share with my grandchildren and with my family for years to come. Benjamin Mays once said, Dr. Benjamin Mays once said, that an honor is simply a challenge to do better. And I promise you, as I have promised God, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. Now, there are three kinds of preachers, I am told. Those that you can listen to, those that you can't listen to, and those that you must listen to. And I trust and I pray that I will be the latter of the three this morning because God has given me a special message for this class of 2017. So are you ready for some heavenly bread this morning? Amen. I thought I'd get a little more out of the younger generation than I did out of the... That's all right. Our Somatic text is taken from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. 
Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. It says succinctly, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I've given title to this text. I want to talk to you on the subject, So What Now? So what now? But before I speak with you, please join me as we talk with God. Gracious God, my Heavenly Father, as I stand this morning before these, your worshipers, I earnestly request your divine presence. Take these hallowed moments and resurrect and reconstruct their lives. Introduce yourselves to some and remind others that you are our maker and redeemer and in fact the one from whom all blessings flow. Holy God, feed us, instruct us, inspire us, and then empower us. Rescue the perishing, give hope to the dying, and when we leave here today, I pray that each of these graduates might receive your divine mandate, your commission, and your anointing in the worthy name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So what now? The Christian life is neither a humanistic desire nor a legalistic hope, but an act of sincere spiritual devotion to Jesus Christ in response to what God has done for us. In other words, it ain't about you. It ain't about you. So what now? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? At first thought, this question might seem a bit awkward, or maybe even invasive, because it lays siege to your inward thoughts and dares to attack the mission control room of your personal agenda. Admittedly, it is a difficult question because we are resident to critically examine our preferences, our lifestyles, and our priorities. Because to do so may force us to admit that in some ways we are adrift and off course of our God-intended destiny. You may, in fact, ask the question, well, what right is it of yours to even make that inquiry this morning. Is it not 
my life, after all that I've done, all the classes I've attended, all the, 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 the tests that I had to pass, all the grades that I acquired, is it not my life to do as I please? And the answer is unequivocally yes. It is your life. It's a difficult question. Nonetheless, because it ceases to lessen in its intensity until the shortcomings of self-rationalization and self-justification are held up against the light, the light of truth. However, today you are standing really on the precipice of life, your life. And what I want you to know this morning is that the choices that you make will become the hinges of your destiny. And that destiny will either make you or break you. You see, graduates, life is a lot shorter than you think it is. And life can be difficult. Life has its disappointments. And life is lived out in seasons. And there are some things in life that you will not change or see changed in your entire lifetime. So what's your strategy? What's your plan? What will be your modus operandi? Albert Einstein is quoted to have said, not everything that counts can be counted. And there are things that can be counted that don't count. Did you get that? At the turn of the century, there was a man up in Westfield, Massachusetts, who made the best buggy whips in the world. In fact, Westfield, Massachusetts had more than four businesses that made buggy whips, tools, and carriage parts. It was called the Whip City. The Motor City, the Whip City. And this man was known for making the best there were. Buggy whips were used to prod the horses that were harnessed to wagons or, or carriages. And at the same time, around 1893, there were some men like Frank Durier of Springfield, Massachusetts, and Ransom Eli O's of Detroit, Michigan, and Henry Ford of Detroit, Michigan. And they were all working on something that was called the horseless carriage. And within a few years, the buggy whips were obsolete. Now, mind you, making buggy whips was a good thing. But was it the right thing? So what now? Benjamin Franklin said, without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have absolutely no meaning. Denzel Washington was uh, asked to speak at the Oscars this year, and he made a statement that caused me to think. He said, without commitment, you'll never start. And without 
consistency, you'll never finish. Did you get that? Know that perseverance is infinitely greater than talent. You got talent? Great. Everybody else does too. Winston Churchill said, never give up on something that you can't go a day without thinking about. Now, there are several reasons why people give up. Some people give up because they expect fast results. Some stop believing in themselves. Some get stuck in the past. Some fear the future. Some resist change. Some give up their power. Some believe in their weaknesses. Some feel that the world owes them something. Some feel fear failure more than they desire success. Some never visualize what is possible. Some overwork. Some assume that their problems are unique to them. Some see failure as a signal to turn back, and some just plain feel sorry for themselves. I ask you again, so now what? Agriculture says, make hay while the sun shines. Management says, take care of your customers. Industry says, strike while the iron is hot. Entertainment says, stay on top of your game. The Actors Guild says, break a leg. The, hor- the, the, the poet Horace, Horace said, seize the moment. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, build a better mousetrap. Norman Vincent Peale said, shoot for the moons. If you miss it, you'll land among the stars. At one time, the military said, take no prisoners. Finance says, crunch the numbers. Business says, cross your T's, dot your I's. The sports industry says, raise the bar. Play hardball. So what's the summation? And where, in fact, is this sermon going? Glad you asked. (laughs) It's not that life is short, but that we wait so long to begin. Life is really seasonal, somewhat somewhat like the seasons of the year. Jean Piaget and and Leif Erikson talk about the stages of life and, and the theories of development. Infancy, early childhood, play age, school age, adolescence, early adulthood, Adulthood, old age. And most of you are somewhere between the sixth and the seventh developmental stage. So what now? Glad you asked. Whenever you are reading or studying the Apostle Paul, you should remember that the first half of his letters are always about doctrine. He's teaching doctrine, or he's trying to to argue doctrine. And the second half is always the application. Doctrine first, then application. Having completed 
both the teaching of the doctrine and the practical application, he seeks now to take his hearers there in, in Rome to the next level, to the apogee, to the principitum. For the ancient people of, Hebrew, uh, uh, of Israel, it was always self-evident to them. It was clear as the nose on their face that that faith and theology had to be lived out and expressed in your daily living. In other words, it, didn't, it wasn't just something that you preached about or that you taught or you, expect, you, you, you extrapolated. It had to be something that was living because when God speaks, something always happens. God does not just speak and then nothing. When God speaks, something happens. So they expected that after hearing a message that they had to do something. They had to bring it up. They had to experience it. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Sermons don't have an appeal. Sermons are an appeal. You don't add an appeal to the sermon. The whole sermon is an appeal. God is trying to get you to do something. Jesus was trying to get his disciples and his hearers and the Old Testament prophets. They were always trying to bring you back to where God wanted you to be. Listen to the preacher. I therefore urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service. This is the reasonable way for you to worship. Worship is not what we're doing now. This is only the, the tip of the iceberg. Worship is what happens when you leave church, not when you come to church. Worship is about service. The angels of God are worshiping him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not only when you have your holy habit on, it's when you have on your coveralls and you have on your uniform. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye continually transformed by the renewing of your minds. So that you may be able to determine what God's will is. What is proper and what is pleasing and what is perfect. I'm going somewhere. This is not an invitation. It's not even a request. There's something more here. Paul is summonsing us in this passage. I beseech you. I urge you. I I entreat you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading. This is a powerful appeal. In view of, in regard, in consideration. You and I have no conceivable idea of the sacrifice that God made for this proposal to even be offered. You can't imagine how indebted we were to God. Our, our debt was huge. It was immeasurable. It was immense. It was incalculable. It was inestimable. 
You can't conceive it. You can't contain it. We had no capacity to pay the debt. We were bankrupt. We were broke. Racially, we were segregated. Nationally, we were alienated. Economically, we were misappropriated. Physically, we were malnourished. Geographically, we were beyond reach. Biologically, we were sick. Physiologically, we were beyond reason. Corporately, we were disenfranchised. Psychologically, we were emotionally disturbed. Theologically, we were in spiritual darkness. Musically, we were out of tune. Morally, we were out of control. Socially, we were dysfunctional. And spiritually, we were just plain dead. As the old Baptist preacher used to say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus... And all he's done for me, my soul shouts out hallelujah for saving a poor sinner like me. Are you getting this? By the mercies of God, his compassion, his kindness, his forbearance, his generosity. I I shared this morning, this is not in my notes, I was on Highway 10 on my regular commute from Pine Forge, Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. while I was president of the Allegheny East Conference. I loved to drive through the Amish country and I would be driving, talking to the Lord. And one day I was telling him about my sons, my boys. And I kept telling him, I can't get them to do right. I, ca- I cannot get these guys to do right. I'm the president of the conference. I'm an ordained minister. I can't get them to do right. I pulled over beside a barn. Tears are coming down my eyes. And God says, I don't know what you're so worried about. I said, did you just hear what I said? I can't get them to do right. He said, I can't get you to do right. (laughs) He has been better to me than I've been to myself. As the psalmist David would say, if it had not been, you can finish it. For the Lord on my side, where would we be? Come on, we got to be real. Do you think you brought you? That you kept you? That you provided for you? Think again. The Bible is clear You are not your own. We have been bought with a price. The slaves used to sing, how I got over, how I got over. My soul looks back in wonder how I got over. They weren't just talking about salvation. They were talking about getting out of of slavery. Underground Railroad. Yield your bodies, Paul is using here a kind of reflective pronoun, your bodies, your, your, your very cells, your entire body in its wholeness, not just the individual elements, your legs, your ears, your eyes, your fingers, your toes. Not, God wants your whole body and, and, and not just this inter, you know, very, very sacred con- consecration, Lord, I give you my life. That's good, but he wants the summa, the the, the total person. All he wants is you. Nothing else will do. 
He wants it all. All of it. The whole enchilada. He wants all of you. A living sacrifice. Paul, Paul's argument here is that this is the appropriate response for us to make in view of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. A, a, a sacrifice is something that is offered or something that is presented to another, and in this case, to God, the sovereign God. And, 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 and we are both the offerer and the offered. Did you get that? We, we are the offerer and the offered. And we should take special notice in the fact that it says a living sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Now, a major focal point of Adventist theology is found in the Old Testament sanctuary system as it represents the ministry of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. But when you, when you read those accounts in the Old Testament, you can't overlook the fact that with each animal sacrifice, each lamb, each oxen, each goat, each dove, whether it was brought or purchased at the temple, prefigured Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And the animal victims were always alive when they were offered. Now, I know all of you are ready to die for Christ. It's too late. Christ took the death. You don't have to die. You've got to do something harder. You've got to live for him. It would be fine if you would just croak and you say, well, Lord, I gave you my life. It's over. No, you've got to live for him. The sacrifice of death has already been made. Jesus gave his life to provide that atoning sacrifice. He took the punishment that we deserved. He paid the debt. He removed the restriction that sin imposed and bequeathed us the right to the abundant and eternal life that he came to bring. John 10.10 says it all. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more. God is not trying to take life away from you. It's quite the opposite. He came to bring you life, but not bio. Zoan. Life as divine. Life as in real life. James Cleveland, the gospel singer, used to say, you think this is living? This ain't no living. You ain't seen no living unless you, until you met the Lord. This is not it. Not life that is limited in time between beginning and ending. Do you know why people cry at funerals? Because our hearts were never designed to feel that kind of loss. We weren't meant to die, but to live. We don't understand it. It's complex. We never get used to it. As preachers, we attend funeral after funeral after funeral. You never get used to it because it's not supposed to have happened. 
Not life merely as a biological concept. Not life as engendered by being given birth to. Life in relationship to God. Life as God. Not biozoan. Not biozoan. And this is the context of the offering we make to God. It is not an offering that we make for our sins to bring us in favor with God. We're already in favor with God through our, our confession and our repentance. We're not second-class citizens in the eyes of God. We're not stepchildren. We have all been fully adopted into the family of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been adopted. Beloved, now, John says, are we the sons and daughters of God? It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know now are we, not then, now. In other words, after the exchange takes place, the sacrifice becomes holy in that it belongs to God. You and I are holy Holy is a byproduct of belonging to God. This church is holy. It's God's house. The Bible is holy. It's his book. The tithe is holy. It's his money. This day is holy. It's God's Sabbath. And you and I are holy if we are God's people. God often said, Israel, my holy, Israel, my holy people, Israel, those stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, Israel, my holy. He didn't say my perfect people. Holiness and perfection are not synonymous. Holiness is an attribute of belonging to God. Which is your reasonable service, your spiritual worship, your true and proper worship. This continuous offering of the whole selves is the truest and most manifestation and display of worship that there is. The true worshiper which desires to embrace the whole of the Christian life worships every day. A Christian life is always and inevitably a serving of masters. Surely Caesar, another gospel singer, says you've got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. You are going to serve somebody. And if I were you, I'd make up my mind today to come over to the Lord's side. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you are going to serve somebody. It is either serving God and His righteousness, which ends up in eternal life, or it's a service of sin that ends up in eternal death. And that's the struggle, isn't it? Against the tyranny of sin. Because tyranny is that takeover. See, God, he, he offers, he invites, he, he conjoles. But the devil just comes in and he just takes over. And, and he just destroys. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your virtue. He doesn't care about anything. And if you let him, he'll just rob you. And leave you blind and naked. This is not a cape walk. It's not a sentimental journey. It's a battle. And it's the battle that Christians live 
as long as we're on this side of eternity. And this was the tension that Paul was talking about when he said, although I want to do good, evil is right here with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. I I love God's law with all my heart. I really do. But there's another power. Say another power. Within me that is at war with my mind. It's all in here. It's in my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. But then Paul comes to a, a point where he, 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 he breaks with that owe me, that woe me. And, and, and he says, but thanks be to God. Well, what happened, Paul? I, I just realized what the Christ event has done. It, 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 it has shifted my entire perspective. I'm not a loser. I'm really a winner. I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. The, the best way I can explain it is that, that this tension that Paul was talking about earlier in Romans is B.C. That was before Christ. And then after uh, Romans 7.25, but thanks be to that was A.D., that's after Christ. Oh, uh, uh, um, uh, B.C. was the old man. Uh, A.D. was the new man. And because of that, Paul had to stop in the writing of his letter and have a praise moment. Thanks God. I mean, he was all entrenched with this, this tension. But all of a sudden, he discuss- sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, I have a praise moment just right there by myself. You can have a praise moment. Sometimes I have to pull over the car. I don't want to wreck the car, but I'm having a praise moment. I don't care what they think. They don't know the God that I know. Be not conformed. Don't fashion. Don't copy. Don't allow yourself to be shaped by this world. When you allow yourself to be conformed to this world, what takes place is not just disguising who and whose you are. It is actually an inward corruption. It's an inward corruption. You're better than that. But be ye transformed. How is that supposed to happen, Paul? You talk about all of these things. How, Paul? How? By the renewing of your minds. By changing the way you think. Out of the heart of the issues of life. Change the way you think. You'll change the way you live. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, we used to say. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world just won't matter. There are two competing models, the pattern of the world and God's will. And Paul is unequivocally and decidedly urging us not to shape our lives according to anti-Christian culture. Paul, this great loving pastor, evangelist, persistent yet patient, courageous yet humble, uncompromising but yielding, ethical yet forgiving. He's speaking now in fatherly tones with apostolic authority as he couches his admonishments upon the mercies of God. And to all you graduates that are here today, you're the promise of our future. 
We have shared with you the keys of the kingdom. We have passed on to you our rich heritage and the great commission given to us by God. You are the heirlooms, our sons and daughters. In the words of the apostle James of Jude, keep yourselves in love with God. Attend church faithfully. You want, I'm talking, this is the, this is, this is the how part. Attend church. Forsaking not the assembly. Attend church. Get up. Go to church. I don't like the preacher. You're not there because of the preacher. You're there because of your relationship with God. I don't like the music. Then bring a song in your heart. Go to church. And we need to bring back some of the old hymns that, that, that taught us the, the Christian practice safely through another week. That's reminding me. I didn't get through this week by myself. Read God's Word daily. The entrance of God's Word. Do you know what I discovered? I discovered that God talks to me in the same language that I read in Scripture. I used to wonder, how do you hear God's voice? And I, I, I had this conversation with my dad. I don't have time. To, I had this conversation with my dad years ago because I, I, I would hear his prayers, but my prayers didn't sound like his prayers. And that was because he knew God in a way that I didn't know him. But when you read God's word, you become acquainted with his voice. I had a friend that called me one morning. It must have been about 4 o'clock in the morning. And as soon as I answered the phone, I didn't have to ask who it was because I knew his voice. When you read God's word, when you're praying and asking God for an answer, you can hear his voice. Stay in God's presence. My wife loves to remind me, stay in God's presence. Sweetheart, stay in God's presence. I get all worried and concerned, and she reminds me, the Bible said, be anxious for nothing. I said, well, it's not that I'm not doubting God. I just don't know what my part would be. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Talk to God. Devote yourself to prayerful being and watchfulness and thanksgiving, Colossians 4.2. And then cultivate that relationship with God. You remember when you were courting your girlfriend or your boyfriend? The Bible says, you'll seek me and find me when you cultivate, when you search for me. I'm thinking about ways to please. Ple- when I was dating, I was thinking about ways to, to please her. She was in my mind all day. Cultivate that relationship with God. He's a real person. Study the Word of God for yourself. Take up your Bible and study God's Word. Don't just bank on the preacher to give you the the, the pablum. You want the rich meat of the gospel. And then share your faith with others. Be a witness. Be always prepared to give to somebody else a reason for the faith. Why do you believe that the Sabbath is God's? Why do you believe that you should... You don't have to even find... Be able to give a reason for your faith. And then, be a servant to others. He who is greatest among you will be the servant, Jesus says. Engage in some kind of ministry. 
If your church didn't have a ministry, start a ministry. People call the North American Division, and they want permission to do ministry. I say, you got that permission the day you were baptized. How, how can I give you that? God has already, you mean I, can, I have something that God doesn't have? Make a ministry that fits your skills and your gifts. and your. If you see a need, fix it. Don't worry about a committee. You be the committee. And then find somebody else and multiply yourself. Serve wholeheartedly, Ephesians 6, 7, as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, Jesus says, you've done it unto me. We urge you, we admonish you not to buy into the relativistic sin-justifying value system that is exerting itself right now within our, our, our culture. Resist this process of being continually molded and fashioned and patterned after the world. Love not the world. Why? Because out of the heart are the issues of life. And then Paul finally says, I'm talking about transforming your mind. Finally, whosoever thinks whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are are just and whatsoever things are pure and whatsoever things are lovely and whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Don't you know that who you offer yourself to as obedient slaves, their slaves you are? Be transformed. We're all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being strangely transformed into that same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. The transformed and renewed mind is the mind that is saturated with and controlled by the Word of God. Then, Paul says, you'll be able to put to the test and examine and to know and to discern the will of God. A mind that has been truly renewed can discern God's will and make moral decisions because it has been saturated with the Word of God. But then Paul does one other thing, and I'm closing. He defines for us what the will of God is. He says, the will of God is good. In other words, it's morally right. It reflects the character of God. Secondly, it says the will of God is pleasing. This is something that is pleasing. The psalmist says, you have made me to know the paths of life and have filled me with joy. It's pleasing to me to serve the Lord. Thirdly, it is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. The will of the Lord is perfect. It's sound. It's complete. And by it, we are established in this relationship with God that is forever. When God said to, to Enoch, walk before me and be thou... We, he was talking about a relationship. He wasn't talking about walking on a straight line. He didn't talk about the hymn line. He wasn't talking about... He was talking about a relationship. The relationship will take care of the hymn line. You don't hear what I'm saying. He was 
isn't talking about whether you are a vegetarian or a vegan. The relationship will take care of that. God will tell you. He will change your taste buds. You don't even have to change them. He'll do it for you. Or he will create a situation where you'll have to do it. So the will of God is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. And it's all that we need to live that holy and contented life. So what now? That's the point. So what now? The people called him a lunatic. But that didn't deter him. Every morning he took a hammer and some tools and disappeared until late night. And what he did was not reported until 22 years later. Imagine doing something every day for 22 years. You graduate tomorrow, for the next 22 years, you disappear at night and you start doing, and nobody even knows what you're doing until 22 years later. In 1960, Dashroth Manji lived in a small village in Galore, near Gaya Bihar, with his lovely wife, Faguni Devi. There was a rocky mountain near this village that people either had to climb across or travel around in order to get to the medical facility in the nearest town. One day, Manji's wife fell while trying to, to cross that mountain, after which Manji decided to, to carve his way through it. When he started hammering, the hill people called him a lunatic, but that only strengthened his resolve. And after 22 years of back-breaking labor, Manji carved a path 360 feet long, 25 feet deep, and 30 feet wide. Manji died in 2007. But 52 years after he started breaking the mountain, 30 years after he finished carving a path through the mountain, and four years after his death, the government finally came around and made a metaled road to Genlor. In 1959, his wife, uh, Faguni Diva, died because no medical services were available. That's why he decided to break the mountain. Tomorrow marks the completion of your education and the commencement of the day after. Your life is about to enter a brand new chapter. God created you and has been forming you and molding you. He didn't do that so that you can fit in with the rest of society. That's not what this is about. You are a royal lineage. You are children of promise. God redeems you and he has called you by... Tomorrow when you come across this, this planet, they're going to call your name. God called your name before you were born. He called you by name. He knows you. You're not just graduating from a Christian institution. You are Christian graduates. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Sinfulness is not acceptable. Not acceptable. I urge you as graduates, in view of all that God has done, to offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service.